Hi there, and welcome to a different way of seeing. Have you ever wondered how a disabled person lives their life? Join our host, Lois Drachen, as she chats to people about work, education, travel, sport, the arts, and leisure, and the tools and techniques they use to live their lives with the disability. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to today's episode of A Different Way of Seeing, a podcast where we talk all things disability and matters related to disability. Today, we're chatting to USA Today bestselling author, Barbara Hensky, about her brand new book that has launched today. Barbara, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Welcome. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much, Lois. I'm thrilled to be with you. I'm a big fan of yours and Fiji. Um, It was fun to be together. Well, I think we're going to talk about some of the, 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 the ways that your career and your writing relates so well to, to what I do in my life and of course to Fiji. So that's exciting. And I'm, I'm very keen to start chatting to you, but before we get into the story of your book, over every hurdle. Let's just take a step back and say, can you introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Thank you. I'd I'd love to um, introduce myself. I'm an author of novels. I write women's fiction literary fiction, which my uh, Guiding Emily series about the guide dog, we'll talk about that, is in. I write sweet Christmas stories, and my novella, The Christmas Club, was made into a Hallmark Channel Christmas movie in 2019, um, and it did very well, so they still air it at this time of year um, in their countdown for Christmas movies. And I've written a couple of mystery, thriller, and suspense books, which I brand in my Who's There collection. So that's my author life. I'm a um, now a retired business attorney. I was a corporate lawyer and um, love the practice of law to write full time. So that's I'm a complete dog lover and <laughs> have lots of furry friends. I'm a homebody. I love my house. I like to cook and garden and entertain. And that's just kind of me in a nutshell. That's quite a full nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're, we're talking about the book that's just launched today. Um, the, the third book in the Guiding Emily series called Over Every Hurdle. Tell us a little bit about the first two books, just as an introduction to the series. Um, So Guiding Emily is the first book in the series, and it's about a young woman, Emily Maine, who loses her eyesight on her honeymoon, unfortunately. Um, And it's her journey through her despair and you know she's a a, an adult who has been sighted so losing her sight plunges her into depression and despair 
but then she gets her um, training and things that she needs to resume a full life. So it's her climb out of that. Um, and at the same time, there's a puppy um, at a guide dog uh, training facility in California, in the United States. And so we follow Garth's journey from being a puppy to being a guide and then getting at the end of the first book, he and I, this isn't a spoiler, he and Emily come together. And so that's why it's guiding Emily. Um, Garth's chapters are told first person from the dog's perspective, which I think was an important literary device because the book would have been pretty heavy and hard if it hadn't been lightened up by the love and light that Garth, Garth brings to the book. Uh, the book did, I always wanted it to be a series and maybe we can talk about my purpose of the series later, but um, so the second book is a continuation of her journey and her relationships. And one of the main focuses of the book is how she returns to her job. She's a very high level programmer at a company like an Apple or something like that. And she's, completely capable of doing her job as a um, blind person, but people around her just don't seem to be willing to see that. So it's how she breaks through those um, unintentional barriers of prejudice that are holding her back and that often hold anyone with a disability back. So though that's their trajectory in the first two books. And then over every hurdle is um, a continuation of her journey. Um, it also brings in, the second book brings in and the third book develops uh, a couple of other characters that one of her friends um, that she met when she was in um, training, orientation and mobility training. So Stephanie and her guide dog Biscuit continue. Um, and there's, finally, there's also a continuing character whose name is Drove. Um, Indian, that's an Indian name um, that means faithful, faithful, which draw very much is. He's on the spectrum. And so we kind of deal with people's reactions to him and how he forges his way in his life as well. So that's kind of what you'll find in this series. What? <clears throat> What caused you to write a book about a woman losing her sight and her guide dog? What's the origin story behind the books? Thank you for asking that. I was, you know, it was, I think it was just the hand of God putting me, putting ideas in my head. And I'll tell you why. I was attending a black tie fundraiser for a local private library that I love. I had donating, donated naming rights in my next book as a live auction item. Um, by the way, those rights were bought by a woman by the name of Emily Maine, which is why it's Guiding Emily and her name is Emily Maine. At any rate, I'm sitting at a round table, you know, as you do at these black tie events, next to the development director for the Foundation for Blind Children in Phoenix, Arizona, where I live. In fact, I live a mile from the foundation. I've lived there for 30 some years and have never been in. He said, oh my gosh, we were talking and getting along great. 
you know, my husband and um, his wife and I, and he said, Steve said, you know, come on, come tour the place next week. So we did. The foundation services children and adults provides counseling, medical, orientation and mobility, vocational training, you name it, they provide it. It's a remarkable world-class facility. I was in tears, so moved by what they did. And I finally turned to Steve and said, you know, what do you need? What can I do to help? Said two things. Of course, we're a nonprofit. We need money. And we need to raise awareness of the isolation that blind people feel in circulating around in the sighted society. And I said, well, you know, I'm a novelist. I can do both. I can donate half of my proceeds from Guiding Emily, which I do. Don't Those go to the Foundation for Blind Children. And I can raise awareness. The foundation serves not just children, but adults as well. Their oldest child is 104. So as they like to say, so it's all of society. Um, and that's, I'm telling you the truth. I had no idea when that I was going to write a book. When I walked in in February of 2018, I got the idea while we were standing talking in the Braille Library. And I, st I started doing research in 2019. No, it was in 2019. 2019, when I had this meeting, started researching in 2019, published the first one in June of 2020. Um, and I've got a screen rights deal on it that's moving forward. It's in pre-production. So it's just... Yeah been such a joy and it's it's been kind of, I don't want to say effortless because nothing is effortless um but it certainly has been seamless you mentioned the research that you did before writing the books tell us a little bit about the research and for me my curiosity is going what was it like for you as a woman with sight to learn about the realities of living as a blind person? Thank you for that, uh, for this question. I, I spent and still spend a lot of time on research. I'm very aware now in fiction, there's the um, other voices kind of idea that maybe you shouldn't be writing about something that you don't experience yourself. I don't, obviously, I don't agree with that, but I think you have to be very careful. So I went into this thinking, I want to be accurate in my portrayals, but I don't want to victimize anyone. I have become aware that within fiction, there are not many, and even on the screen, there are not many visually impaired people that are portrayed in ways that other successful like you, visually impaired people are happy with. Um, you know, it, Hollywood tends to jazz it all up with addictions and promiscuity and, you know, just crazy behavior. Well, no, that's, that's just, that's not worthy. So back to the, that's my goal in my research was to get it right. The Foundation for Blind Children could not have been more generous. They opened their doors. I spent probably weeks 
talking to people, counselors. They gave me white cane training. Um, a group of newly blind adults were in a group, had group counseling, and they were all kind enough to sign waivers and allow me to sit in on the counseling. So I could really hear from them what the emotional and mental challenges were. Because uh, as a sighted person, I, I would not have intuited this. So that was the blind aspect of it. And But I also knew, and I have dogs, but that's not side <laughs> dogs. That's not these highly trained animals and how that works. So I was able to network my way into um, guide dogs for the blind in San Rafael, California. There are two real big guide dog schools in the United States where I am, and one of them is in California. They were kind enough to let me come and spend three days behind the scenes. Um, and they've just been incredibly kind and generous with their support. And I've, you know, I've got a lot of people who read the books for me and visually impaired and guide dog people to tell me what I'm getting right and where I'm wrong, because that's what I really want to know. If I got it wrong, well, you better tell me. Um, yeah. It, it's one of those things, you know, I've read the first two books and I love the fact about Emily that she's showing something beyond the <clears throat> zero to hero inspiration pornography kind of mm -hmm. you know sense that often writers with disabilities are pressurized into mm -hmm. revealing or being the, the kind of you have to be inspiring or it's such a traumatic story it's one of those two extremes and in emily's case She's showing the normality of the emotional response. She has her good days. She has her great days. She mm -hmm. has some really dreadful days that she has to cope with. And I think for me, that's one of the things that makes the books that you're writing and the characters that you're portraying so accurate to a real life experience. Because we all have good days. We all have mm -hmm. not such good days. And uh, that for me is very important because it does break that trend of what in many cases, I think the publishing industry is trying to force mm -hmm. um, the characters with disabilities to be portrayed as. You know, I, I'm so gratified to hear that because yeah, she, I want her to be a regular woman like the rest of us, she's going to have bad, bad hair days. She's going to forget something at home when she's at the office. Um, in the third book, she flies and she doesn't like to fly. I don't like to fly. So a lot of what I do to calm myself down on a plane is what she does. Um, I want to portray her as a person who's just living the same life as the rest of us. But she has to approach things in different ways. Um, and there is a little bit of a uh, an emphasis. I do, I do want to make sure that anybody who's an employer out there who happens to read my books sees that people with visually impairments are wonderful employees. There's no reason 
not to employ them. And to try and give a little bit of guidance if you um, interact with someone who's visually impaired out in the real world, what's good and what's bad. I mean, we all know you don't, we should know, although everybody doesn't, that you don't go up to a working guide dog and start petting the working guide dog. But if someone's in the grocery store with a white cane and they're standing in front of the millions of bags of carrots, Mm. trying to figure out with their phone, which is the right one that they want. I, you know, it's okay to say, Hey, can I, can I be of any help to you? Um, Just like you would, you know, anybody else, if you're in the grocery and there's, well, I'm kind of short. And so I'll be reaching all the time for something on the top shelf. And it's very regular for somebody to just come over to me, man or woman, to say, hey, can I help you get that um, down? And of course, the answer is always yes. So there's no reason we shouldn't all proceed like that. But but I appreciate that. It doesn't. The other thing I want to say is I don't want. Um, yeah, you don't want to glamorize things or make someone's path seem too easy because it is discouraging to the rest of us. Just like all the perfect looking lives on social media. Oh, no, that doesn't do anybody any good to just pretend like, oh, everything's easy breezy for me. Um, may not be for you, but then that means you're not as good as I am. No, I don't want to do that. It's interesting because, you know, I was going to ask you about your intentions in writing the book, what your purpose is. Are you trying to shift people's awareness who maybe not have the awareness of what it's like living with a disability, being closely connected with someone with a disability? What is the purpose of your stories? I think you've you've touched on that and what you've already mm-hmm. said. But are you trying to change stereotypes? I most definitely am with both people on the spectrum and uh, with, you know, uh, visually impaired people. Absolutely. A young man that I met um, who was going through training at the Foundation for Blind Children, he had been sighted and lost his sight suddenly, um, had worked at a local movie theater. And that was his passion. I think he was like manager of one of the big theaters. Um, Just such an engaging guy. He contacted me because he said guiding Emily gave him hope. Okay. And I have other people tell me that, visually impaired people, right? And tell me that if I don't ever do anything else in my life, I feel good, proud that I've done that. But getting back to Daniel, um, He was absolutely capable of doing his job, but the theater's insurance, theater chain's insurance company said, no, you're going to have to put him out on disability because he would be a liability. So there he went. I, that just makes me absolutely nuts. I understand an insurance company's interest in protecting their bottom line, but what a myopic you of that what the heck so there are stairs in a movie theater he's got he's got a cane he's fine he knows how to get up and down stairs that was the only thing that he couldn't do I just think that's shameful so and it 
you know, was horrible for him. It's just horrible for him. All of a sudden he's home collecting disability. Okay, but that's not what he wants to be doing. He's home nine, 10 hours a day. He had to figure something else out to do. And he did. He's a runner and he's actually going to be running in the New York City Marathon next month in Arizona. Or I guess this when this airs, it'll be this month um, in, in uh, New York. So that's remarkable that he's learned to do that and filled up his free time with something so productive. Um, it, yes, it just hurts me that we compartmentalize people in society. It's so wrong. I think it's, sadly, we hear too many stories like that. And raising awareness that people who have disabilities are people with the same abilities. We just use different techniques to do things. It's really important to me, certainly as someone who mm-hmm. is, is blind. You know, I spend my life doing that and trying to just show people that I'm just the same as anyone else. I just use different techniques. So I think part of the the message that I see is so very subtly but importantly portrayed in the Guiding Emily series is that very message. Let's talk a little bit about the audience for the books. Who are they aimed at? Who are your ideal readers? And I know it's always tempting for an author to say, everybody should read my book. But we all know that realistically, when writing, we write with an ideal reader in mind. That's that's a great question, and that's absolutely true. Because I've I've been successful in writing women's fiction and Sweet Christmas, I initially tailored to those audiences and was listing it as women's fiction. And I had my agent said, "No, don't do that. It should really be broader. It should be literary fiction." I do have more male readers for this series than I do for any of the others, even the murder mysteries, which is a little surprising to me. Um, so, so I want a dual track. I want people who are visually impaired to read this and feel heard and affirmed. And I really want the sighted community to read these books and learn about just about the uh, about this diagnosis of blindness and the Foundation for Blind Children's, um, so I don't want to say slogan, but one of their sayings is it's a diagnosis, not a disability. That mental shift, I think, is important. And I've had a lot of people in reviews and in emails to me reach out and say, you know, I had no idea. Um, and thank you for letting me know these things. I had no idea they could use a pen friend. I had no idea they could cook. Um, the young man I was just talking about, um, Daniel, is a phenomenal cook. Um, yeah. So everything you can do except probably drive a car. And pretty soon with self-driving cars, that's going to change. Um, yeah. Very true. So, Barbara, you've written three books. How has the audience responded to the books so far? The audience response has been 
just beyond my wildest dreams, honestly. They're beautifully reviewed. They've sold well. And that has continued. Um, as I said, I, I've optioned and the option has been exercise for screen rights to bring Guiding Emily to the screen. Podium Audio published the first book in audio and is now, and it was just the most beautiful recording with two different voices. Um, Garth is voiced by a young man who was, this was during the pandemic and he was an out of work Broadway actor. Um, so I think he's just perfect and I'm hoping that they'll get him. They've now, Podium has now exercised their option uh, for books two and three. Oh. And I hope they get Fred Berman back as Garth because he's wonderful. And I hope they get Julia Whalen back as oh. Emily. I'm not so sure they will because she's um, very busy. She's she's very she's, popular as a, as a reader. She's yeah. very yeah. But how lucky mm. am I with all of that? So the books have done well. And as a matter of fact, I was on such a roll writing the series. I had the fourth book outlined. Um, and I may have a couple of family weddings next year. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to barrel on through and write the fourth book, which I did. And it's with the copy editor. I won't publish it until next year sometime, but feeling pretty fat and sassy uh, with myself about having that fourth book done. <laughs> I know you're an author, so you know how that feels. It's like, like wow. I, I was going to ask you if there's plans for a book four, but now I know that I'm going to have to wait for that one. Yeah. But it'll be worth the wait, I'm sure. Thank you. Well, that's great to hear that there's been such good response. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to watching the, the Guiding Emily movie as well. I'm so excited about it. Can I mention two other things that I forgot that are just weird, but fun yes. fact? Go for it. Absolutely. So two other fun facts that I'm really proud of. The um, state of Missouri here in the U.S. has licensed now for the third year an excerpt from Guiding Emily to be used in the reading comprehension portion of their state standardized educational testing, which just blows me away. Somebody on their board of education read Guiding Emily and said, we like the diversity in this book. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to import it into their standardized testing. How random is that? Um, but that's kind of fun. Yeah. And then the other thing is um, the Foundation for Blind Children has a large Braille library and a large Braille operation. And they have transcribed the books into Braille. Um, and they did it using a pro, the first one was done at least through a cooperative program with our prison system where certain prisoners are being trained to be Braille transcribers, which I guess is a very lucrative and in-demand job when they get out of prison. So mine was done by a gentleman in the prison system. And I made arrangements through the foundation to send him a copy of my book signed from me. And he reciprocated with a signed and dedicated Braille copy back to me. It was, it was lovely. Um, and that Braille version of Guiding Emily, I can hardly believe I'm saying this, but it's replaced Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, which is such a biggie. 
as the Braille textbook for adult adults in the U.S. learning um, Braille. How about that? Because it's current day and it's affirming and it's, you know, it's a book about what they're experiencing. So those are weird little factoids that I'm so happy about. I think they speak to the relevance of the message that you're sharing in Guiding Emily, both for people who are blind and partially blind and those who are sighted. So congratulations on those. Those are pretty amazing. Thank you. Maybe we should let people know, okay, you've just launched the third book of Every Hurdle. Yeah. But where can people find it and where can people find the other two books in the series? Thank you. Um, They can find them on Amazon all over the world. Um, They're in ebook and print. Uh, The first one is available on Audible in audio. And the next two will be available on Audible. They're also on Bookshare. And I don't know if that's a worldwide thing, but I know that do you are you part of Bookshare Laws? Yes, I am. Bookshare is pretty much an international organization, yes. Oh good. So they're on Bookshare and I had to insist in signing contracts that um and Podium was good about this and very good about this. Because you know they're selling a product that competes with it. But I said no. I've tried to put all of my books on Bookshare, um, but definitely the Emily series are are available. So that's where you can find them. And my yeah. others, my other stuff is all on Amazon as well. And I think if you're in the U.S., you can order print from Walmart and Target and Barnes and Noble. You know, just all the places you buy books, you can find them. Well, that's fantastic to know. We'll also put the links to Amazon in the show notes so people can find them there as well. You know, I would normally, as a final question, ask you if there's further adventures that Emily and Garth are going to have, but you've already answered that question. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you if there is one favorite scene so far that is of particular importance that you particularly love in the Guiding Emily series? Um, yes. There are, t- there are some scenes that have made me cry, but I think the one that just sprang to mind when you asked me that is a scene in the second book where Emily goes out without her guide because, and you can tell me if this is right, but they here in the U.S. they tell people, even if you have a guide, you need to keep your white cane skills up to speed. True. Uh, yeah. And you're 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 directing your your dog. Your dog is not directing you, and that you should go out without them from time to time because they will need to learn to stay home alone. Even though Garth always is just very. <laughs> Miffed as Fiji is, as Fiji is, yes, and (laughs) rightly so. I I hear Fiji's pain. Um, (laughs) So Emily just runs out to do a quick errand at night, but then gets lost. And I talked to a number of blind people who said, "Oh yeah, we get lost on a regular basis, and it's terrifying." And I thought, "Oh my god!" 
So I wrote that scene because, you know, somebody doesn't come and rescue her. She finds, she gets herself found and gets herself back on track, which shows enormous resilience. I guess, Lois, do you have that experience? Have you been lost? Absolutely. It happens to all of us. And for me, the importance is that once the panic has passed, that momentary panic of, I have no idea where I am. Once you calm yourself down and remember your skills, your training, it's about being able to relocate where you are. So yes, that's a fairly we all have it happens to all of us you know it actually happens to sighted people too they also get lost yes i'm i'm directionally challenged myself (laughs) um and it's it it depends on where you are you know if you're out in your car and you're lost in la in los angeles um oh my god that's just overwhelmingly scary so maybe a little taste of it, but yeah. So that that was the scene that I worked hard. I mean, I wrote and wrote and sent it to people to read and wrote again and worked my fingers to the bone trying to get that scene on the page. And I think it ended up working. You mentioned as well that Garth is one of your favorite characters to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is that? I love Garth, and we talked a little bit about this. He's he's not perfect in that he's got a little bit of a mischievous streak, as all dogs do, but his heart is 100% pure. Um, he is nothing but light and light and love for everyone, which I think most dogs are, particularly Labs and Golden Retrievers. Uh, just don't have a mean bone. So yeah. he's, fun. he's fun to write. It's fun to get in his head. I'd agree with that. And I think one of the things that I enjoy about reading Garth's chapters is how I can read him and yeah. say, that could be any of my guide dogs. So I think he's a very special dog. And as Fiji said in her most recent blog post on my blog, he's her favorite fictitious dog. So we approve of the way you've portrayed Garth. Thank you. I am so honored to have Fiji's approval. I can't tell you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Barbara. It has been really fantastic to, to chat to you, to learn a little bit more about the Guiding Emily series. And congratulations on the launch of the third book. We can't wait for number four. And we really hope that with the launch today, that the book brings you joy and success and that it brings its readers much pleasurable hours of reading. Thank you so much for having me on, Lois. It's been wonderful to be with you. And thank you so much for all of your insight and support all these years. I'm so grateful that it's too bad we're so far apart, but it's just so lovely to have made this this friendship. I totally agree. 
you for listening to A Different Way of Seeing. We would love to connect with you. So find Lois at loisstrachen.com or Facebook, Lois Strachen Speaker. This podcast was edited by Craig Strachen using Hindenburg Pro. Hindenburg, it's all about the story. The credits are done at Naledi Media. Naledi Media, all your vocal needs under one roof. Read by Charlie Gyasi. That's it for now. Thank you for joining us and see you next time when we bring you into the world of seeing differently.